Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. Nico here, and I'm so excited as the reign of X is continuing to bring in some amazing new titles that have been launched. And the biggest, best launch for me so far has been Sword Number One. Well, that might be a little bit easy because it's the only new X book to launch in Reign of X so far. But this next segment features Kyle, Robbie, Maddie, and Evelyn taking a look at what is definitely one of the best number ones Marvel has produced in some time. Al Ewing and Valerio Shidi have created an unforgettable space age for the X-Men that I hope lasts a very long time and I hope you guys enjoy this next segment. Hi everyone and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Evelyn the Comic Canary. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at comic underscore canary. Today we also have... Uh, this is Kyle and you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hey guys, it's Maddie and you can find me as always on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. And hey everyone, I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. Awesome. So today we are going to be covering Sword issue number one, which was pretty interesting. Uh, cover was by Valario Shidi and Marte Garcia. Writer was Al Ewing. Inker and penciler was Valerio Shidi. Colorist Marte Garcia, and letterer VC Ariana Meyer. Ooh, this was this was a fun a fun book I've got to say. I I have to be honest, it was my favorite number one in a long time. Definitely, Definitely yeah. set up some interesting stuff. It was it was my favorite it was my favorite number one in a long time, with the exception of X Factor and potentially Marauders. If we're just going to look in the scope of Dawn of X, but I really think that what this did was set up such a strong departure coming out of the events of 10 of swords you know there was no there was no dilly dallying in terms of setting up the plot my fr- my fear was that this was going to be all set up and no reward but it really was like jumping back into house and powers for a moment and seeing okay this is this is the established status quo this is these are the six and this is sword and this is abigail brand and she's awesome and she's awesome <laughs> we'll speak i actually um for for everybody who has read far more comics than i have uh, on this panel i am actually unfamiliar with sword as a whole and by extension i'm unfamiliar with the majority of this cast so i actually turned down some uh from nico i turned down some back material that i could have read to become a little bit more accustomed because i wanted to see how this read for the uninitiated does that make sense Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah so we'll get we'll definitely get to that then um so for kyle and robbie do you guys have any experience with sword going into this or with uh brand mm, uh um, I think I have some experience, but it might all be mixed in with, uh, Alpha Flight when, mm-hmm. uh, Carol was running it, so I'm not really sure. 
I remember reading some sort stuff retaining to um, Brand, but oof, that was honestly some years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so my memory is like a little fa- phasey with her, but I do remember reading stories. I just can't off the top of my head pinpoint like random appearances she's made over the years, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. She's made a couple random appearances recently with Empire. That's right. In Empire and had a good talk in with Captain Marvel. Right, because she was she was mad that Sword hadn't been brought into the whole issue with the Katati and the Skrull and Kree. Right. And speaking of Empire, we see a small glimpse of the future she says she's quitting alpha flight and she's going to make something better and then in the epilogue we see like a small couple panels of this futuristic thing where she's like yeah we did it we're we're badass and i was wondering do you guys think that that would be coming out from sword or do you think that that might be coming out from like other events that are happening such as king and black mm-hmm. It was it was my understanding that this first issue of uh, Sword was happening just before the King and Black stuff happened. So I I do believe that it, a lot of this. I I think that was the start of this new sword, but at the point where we were seeing it, they hadn't gotten the peak back at that point. So I I don't I think it was it was a plan, but it hadn't been put into place yet. Yeah, I would have to agree. So actually getting into the story, it really gets right into the story. Um, We see some new characters and some old characters. Maddie, what did you think about the introduction to some of these characters that you might know and not be familiar with? Well, you know what? I I loved it. I I really did. And like I said, I turned down some some materials that would have better acquainted me with some of the cast here, as well as Sword on the Whole before reading this. So I really went into it blind, and I can only think to reference one of the data pages discussing the first and second stage circuits and introducing the six. We have uh, Takeshi Matsua as WizKid being the control. We have Fabian Cortez with no alternative alias as the power. Uh, Hisako Ichiki as armor is the shield. Uh, Eden Fessy Manifold is the guide. Peter Quinn Peeper is the eye. And Foundry's, uh, the Foundry is Gloria Munoz, who is Riske. And the only one of these six that I know is armor. Um, so aside from that, the only familiar character in this book for me was Magneto. And I have to say, that's all it really took, you okay. know, to, to maintain my interest, at least. Definitely Magneto's entrance was hilarious. Like the whole thing <laughs> with Magneto, that was like made by the humor gods. I absolutely adored their interactions. It it was funny. <laughs> uh, it was perfect. It was so perfect. I loved it. <laughs> And speaking of Magneto, he has a couple of uh, reintroductions of his own where he kind of pretends not to recognize Fabian Cortez, which had me did. And then he just he just goes all in with Peeper. He's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? We need to get lunch sometime. I was dying. 
I was too. That that was probably my favorite part of the issue. Just seeing him pretty much knock Fabian Cortez to the ground just by ignoring him, and then immediately acting all buddy buddy with Peeper. That was that was just. It it really brought a smile to my face. I think that Magneto was just comedy gold in this entire in this entire issue, which is bizarre. I mean, we're we're seeing our first foray in the Dawn of X era into space, and what what more ceremoniously ties together this exploration of the new frontier than seeing a side of an established character that we rarely get to see. You know, I, I think of uh I think of on digital, this would be page seven of thirty-two, cable saying, uh, you're you're conducting an inspection while moving a thousand ton space station into place, and Magneto responds, I also plan to walk and chew a little gum. Kills. It just kills. <laughs> I'm so used to seeing Magneto as this like very serious kind of character so seeing this side of him for me personally was really great uh robbie what did you think of magneto in this story as he was kind of almost an observer for us as the audience uh i definitely liked it because we're seeing a bunch of characters that we haven't really had the chance to have seen since dawn of x started and he's a character that's been, we've been very familiar with. It was a very smart decision for us to really see things from his point of view. You know, something that just dawned on me personally is I'm seeing a parallel here to the beginning of House and Powers. I think back to the issue House of X number one when we're brought to the the original habitat where the the delegates from the UN are brought together by the cuckoos and then introduced to Magneto and given a tour of the Krakoan habitat in the major hub city. We're now seeing Magneto as the one being introduced, not the person doing the introducing. And I see that there's a parallel here, especially having come out of a a generally successful line-wide crossover with Ten of Swords. I really think that Sword number one being the first issue that I personally read coming out of such a major event really felt more than more than volume two of Dawn of X. I I really feel like now is the next phase of what comes. Well, that being said, the comic both opens and ends with a quote from Abigail Brand saying, this is what comes next. We see that there is definitely something that they are doing, something intense and crazy. They managed to use their mutant powers for teleportation purposes, which was just incredible. And they retrieved something that even Magneto was in awe of. What do you think that means? And what do you think the consequences might be, especially when we hear from WizKid that they definitely broke a few intergalactic laws? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel feel odd and at the same time really confused because i have absolutely no idea what this item is supposed to be it looks like it's it's some kind of metal maybe i don't know it almost looks like a metal or a gem type thing yeah i wonder you know if it were if it were metal i feel like magneto would have his hands all over it although he does seem to be smiling in that last panel as if he seems to know what it is right Well, that's something that we definitely get. There's a lot of information that we do get in this book, but there's also a lot of information redacted, especially with their mission and what this is. What do you guys think it might 
see and what the redacted stuff might be alluding to. Huh. You know, I'm not, I'm personally not sure. I I want to reference quickly the uh, a few of the instances in the second stage circuit page on the on the data page we're seeing you know if you look at manifold's description in the six as the guide the space folder of the quintition unlikely able to navigate the blank and assist in forming the blank once there so what what do we even take away from that you know what i mean we're not even we're not even able to classify and describe the the specifics and the idiosyncrasies of the jobs held by the six let alone like is this book going to be shrouded in disinformation misinformation a lack of information that's definitely a really good point I'm wondering if this is going to be something similar to earlier in in House and Powers and Dawn, where they slowly revealed some of these redactions. So hmm. we'll, ev- we'll eventually learn what was being hidden from us. Also, isn't this that um, the item that Storm is holding in um, the Reign of X promo? Ooh, I'm Wait. going. I'm going to my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think that, it's the same item. Let's see. It is. That is, wow. Spot on, Ooh. dude. <laughs> fucking. Excellent. Fucking so, hey, dude. I'm just Spot curious on. how they're going to transition from, you know, this story, you know, the purpose of the item, you know, uh, shit, the laws of, like, the, the white hot room, because we really don't know too much. I mean, some things, but not too much with that, and... Uh, and then how they're going to transition from this to Storm getting her hands in the item and what that means. So the white hot room, this is the same white hot room from New X-Men? I believe, with the Phoenix, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Huh. Oh, wow. Because it's, yeah, it's a connection to the Phoenix, which I think is incredibly interesting with that. Yeah, especially with the upcoming um, Avengers Phoenix something or other, whatever the, the new Ugh. event is coming next. Next year can we just collectively d- agree to let the phoenix die can we just collectively agree that well, there don't need to be any phoenix stories anymore okay, but i well, do well, enjoy at least for like 10 years or something give me give me 10 years break we here at access for podcast do not endorse these opinions by maddie and there should not be 10 years without the phoenix there should just be 10 good years of phoenix just saying editors know yeah well maddie but... the problem with phoenixes is that when they die they come back to life yeah but they can god damn it you're absolutely right ah <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right damn it that's literally the only thing phoenixes do but one thing that's incredibly nice though is how this is something that's phoenix related in an x-men book that doesn't include jean gray having a connection to it that's and true. and actually if if you think about it if you're if you're willing to suspend association to jean gray by association to the summer's clan extended uh avx didn't have anything to do with Jean Grey either, and that was eight years ago. So yeah, this will bring us to almost ten years of uh, of no Phoenix with no Jean mm. Grey. So I guess I got what I wanted. Well, uh... <laughs> there was her resurrection story. <laughs> Damn it! Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but she did say goodbye to the Phoenix, though. If that, yeah, if that, yeah, she rejected it. At least there hasn't been. At least it's been about eight years since the Phoenix was like an event. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> God, so sword. <laughs> I I think that now, you know, I said I wouldn't ask this question, 
And I really grappled with it because I'm slowly turning into the dad of all dads with no children. We have the five. We have the six. If you'd indulge my dad humor, will we ever get a seven? Like, what comes (laughs) next now? What comes next? Because we have so many circuit-based mutant technology groups now, right? As they're referred to in this book, which I love. The, The data page, actually, on mutant technology equating the fastball special to being the first interaction of the the first notable um, combination of mutant abilities into what we call mutant technology. It was, the, the whole page was fascinating, but we have the five, right, on Krakoa. We have the six. What's next? Do we, do we keep going from here? Do we have to keep adding? At some point, if we need like 17 cogs to make this work, it's not efficient. I definitely would agree with you where it's, Having too much interaction can definitely be almost counterproductive, but I personally think it's amazing that the mutants are being are able to work together so efficiently to do these like like in sword number one, this intergalactic travel to retrieve something supposedly very hard to get and potentially dangerous. So six, seven, eight might be the limit. If I agree, 17 would definitely be too much. But even like just like one or two or three people using their mutant powers to like do something extraordinary is incredible. Maybe Nightcrawler's religion might have like a seven. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, I definitely agree with that. Definitely seeing them work in like unison with each other. It's it's beautiful. Again, let's let's remember for a moment that my general takeaway of this book was that it was good to great. This is a favorable review by far. I can't help but think back, and I'm going to do this forever. I realize that House and Powers has ruined me, and I'm going to constantly refer back to it now. But I think back to the introduction of The Five, and I was stunned. I was like jaw to the floor. I stopped what I was doing. I read a little further. I closed the book and then I cornered my girlfriend, my my poor sweet deer in headlights girlfriend, and I explained to her who all of the five were and why this and why the synchronicity of their powers working together established mutant resurrection. And this is like this is like 1.30 in the morning, by the way. We have we have just gotten back from like a night of drinking at Jersey City, and I have just gotten my hands on House and Power. So like I've been skimming it. I read a little bit in the car. Um, and she wanted nothing to do with it. So that's neither here nor there. But I think back to that moment, and it's such a it's such a formative memory for me that the introduction to the five stunned me, like shocked, shocked me to my core. And I think the six, the introduction of the six didn't do that, but I don't think it was necessarily meant to. I think this is obviously an establishment of expanding and heightening on a pattern. We have the five now. This is clearly something that works. We have Fabian Cortez as the stand-in for the for the ability for Hope's ability to harmonize mutant abilities. So while I think the introduction of the six itself was not necessarily as poignant for me as it could have been. The very next three pages leading into the credits, leading into the epilogue, them actually traveling through quantum space, hyperspace, we're, we're not entirely sure, were breathtaking. That took my breath away. That reminded me, that made me want to wake somebody up. 
and tell them, you know, you just need to read this book. Just read this book really quickly and just look at these three pages. Like, it's pretty. It's just so pretty. I think the difference between the five and the six is that with the five, you're, you pretty much have specific mutants that have to be part of it in order to, uh, in order to proceed. There may be a stand-in or two, but with the six, there are so many mutants that can fill in for each of the positions. You have Forge as, as a backup. You have Zorn as a backup. Skids. And then they for the teleporting team for the first stage circuit they said that they were that these mutants were just picked because of their ability and availability and they could just use any kind of teleporter in order to uh, move forward if they need to. I actually do have a question that I guess would be more towards like myself, Kyle, and Robbie because um, it's more of a what do you think about the difference where Sword used to be an outset of Shield and used to be more of a government agency. But now it's backed by Krakoa. It's backed by the mutants. It's run by mutants. And even though Abigail Brand is very insistent that this is for the greater good of humanity uh, with an intergalactic connection, what do you think of it changing from being a international government entity to just being essentially backed and not necessarily working for Krakoa, but being pretty exclusively mutant right now? I think it kind of gives it more of um, like a sense of community or like it's stemming from a sense of community instead of it being more like a um, a space job. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, it gives the, it more focus, I think, and allows the characters to all have that thing in common to bring them together, I, I think. Oh, without a doubt. I think personally having having Sword go from being an international agency to being a specifically mutant run agency is something that we're going to see the consequence of sooner rather than later. And I don't think it's going to take the form of the consequences of mutant superiority and supremacy in the form of doxing as it did in volume one of dawn of x more specifically new mutants but i think that we're going to see a ramped up sped up path towards the man machine alliance in the man mutant war oh boy yeah that's right that's coming up at some point isn't it 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 has to at some point at some point it has to completely forgot about that it's been so long (laughs) totally agree i think it's really interesting that because with Sword, Sword was very mutant oriented before. Like Abigail Brand is interesting because she's half mutant, half alien. Um, and she partners with mutants a lot in the previous incarnation of Sword. And she's so insistent in this uh, this issue that they do not work for Krakoa. They just happen to be aligned with. But we see Magneto is coming up and doing an inspection. And I wonder if there's going to be some sort of power struggle in the future with it. It wouldn't surprise me if there is, uh, especially since he placed the peak right over Krakoa. Um, Not having it orbiting the entire planet kind of seems like it leaves a lot unprotected to the planet, I would say. It seems like there may be something to worry about in the future. 
You know, I I can only equate it to in our real life. Imagine if the International Space Station went offline, came back online fully Russian, mm. or or perhaps Chinese. There would be an almost immediate response. There would be an almost immediate reaction. We have to keep that in mind as we continue to sojourn through this book. And let's not forget, we're only in the first issue. This is this has been an issue shrouded in mystery. It has been an issue with a lot of content, but not a lot of meat, for sure. But this is setting up clearly what comes next. This is this is the flagship title, I'm going to call it, for what form the Reign of X takes. Definitely. definitely. Because we're now, we're now in the Reign of X, correct? Yes. Sword yes, begins Reign of X? Yes, it does. Aw, all right. Well, let's let's all take a moment, <laughs> uh, moment of silence to appreciate all the time that we spend covering Dawn of X. And moment's over. <laughs> I was thinking about X-Men uh, number four. From this past year, written by Jonathan Hickman, and it was, you know, we're going to take the sums of money, the outrageous sums of money you will give us, because it also means more wealth for you, and we will invest it. We will buy your banks, we will buy your schools, we will buy your media, we will buy your politicians. We bought a space station, guys. We have a fucking space station now, um, and it's it is it's ours. No take backsies. Um, black, black, no takes back. You know, so. The the it's it's hard it's hard to state it five different ways, but I really can't stress enough there will be consequence uh to this to this venture. So I was just looking at the uh the swords logo and I just love how it's it's an actual sword with like a Is it an actual sword? Oh, wow, it yeah, is. Yeah, because if, if you look at if you look at the circle, it's it's mm-hmm. split into three parts. The bottom left quadrant is the hilt and the cross guard. And then the huh. yeah. And then it goes up into the blade and there's like a ornamental piece. Oh no, that's not even a ta- that one that's in the background of, of the the blade. So yeah, it's a sword. Yeah. Tom Tom Muller just fucking kills it, man. Oh, agreed. Tom Muller just just knocks it out of the park, and this is the second time we've seen this in the in the the header logo that appeared on the final pages of every issue of Ten of Swords. Uh, the the header bar was a sword itself. Oh yeah, that's right. I love it. <laughs> he really is just brilliant. I hope that I hope that Tom Muller sees work on the X titles for years to come. I really, really do love the cast overall, especially with them bringing Frenzy back into an X book. That's right. We didn't talk about her. I first read her years back when in the first X Men Legacy series when Rogue led a team. When she got introduced into the main lineup of that series, I instantly fell in love with her character in that book, and I definitely recommend it for people who want to learn more about Frenzy. And she's definitely a character that was a huge standout in this issue. I'm. I mean. I'm excited about most of the characters, but I think she's the one who I'm going to be looking forward to seeing the most of for what she has. I'm also very excited to see plans for Blink, 
Lila Shaney, Amelia Vaught, and uh, Risque. And because, for example, when we did the Indigenous Voices issue a few episodes back, she was one of, uh, Risque was one of the characters that was mentioned in like the beginning part. So it's really nice to see that Marvel is actually using Native characters that they mentioned going forward in books. And here's hoping that that's a trend that we see continue as we move into the next year. Definitely, yes. I mean, we are getting more Danny Moonstar in in a little while, so I'm happy about that. Uh, That's true. On the second page of the six warping through space to achieve their goal of retrieving this monolith, whatever we want to call it, this this pyramid, uh, this this weird little little uh, triangle. We see the text, Mysterium Tremendum, Elemental Cosmic Heart, White Hot Room of Secret Fire, Excelso Prey, Omnibus Alice. And the last statement means, Alice means most high beyond all others there. And I don't have anything clever to tie that into. I just, in case anyone was wondering what the Latin meant. Uh, but my second observation would be the final page of the book, the the closing data page. The quote from Victor Von Doom, you have stolen fire from the heavens to hold in your hands. How could I object? I have done the same myself with one significant difference. I wore gloves. Be careful. Uh-huh. What is what is the significance to that? What is the significance to this quote? Of course, we can attribute it to whatever item was just stolen. But Victor Von Doom being the author of the quote, is he going to be at all involved in this? I kind of hope not. I I understand Al Ewing's uh, probable insistence of including this Victor Von Doom quote, but I kind of don't want any Fantastic Four stink on my X-Books. <laughs> no, no disrespect? <laughs> well, I mean, their mutant connection's been covered, so... Yeah, I wonder if maybe it's, it's related to when he was in uh, either the original Secret Wars or the most recent Secret Wars. Um, I I think personally that it's a reference to the most recent Secret Wars. His having having stolen godhood. fire from the heaven, yeah, his yeah. his literal godhood. Yeah. Um. So I I that was the first thing to resonate with me. So like I understood why it was there, but I'm wondering now, aside from aside from just being a reference to the events that we saw, like had just seen in the book. Is there going to be any significance to Victor Von Doom or the Fantastic Four? Is there going to be any? Because nobody's in space more than the Fantastic Four. That's true. <laughs> well, besides like the Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff and like and yeah, well, actual like aliens. And, yeah, maybe Captain Marvel. An Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential for a lot of different crossovers mm. within this. <laughs> so was definitely very interesting. I think we can all agree on it. And to quote several quotes from this issue, I hope we survive the experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jo- oh, Jonah's going to be so happy. Oh, he and is. Th- <laughs> and now, and now Nico's going to play. Hey everybody, Nico here again, and I am over the moon for this next segment. 
Now, one of the important things we try to remember here on X's for Podcast is that the X-Men don't only show up in mutant-based books. That might sound a little silly because, you know, they're the X-Men. They're supposed to be in the mutant books, and they usually are. But the X-Men have found themselves, especially in a post-Fox merger sort of world, appearing in the big crossovers again. And that's a really exciting thing for X-Fans. Now, I wanted to make sure that if we covered King in Black, we weren't just covering King in Black. We were really doing a good job on the material that maybe some of us aren't as familiar with. To do that, I reached out to one of our favorite contributors and one of our contributors' fiancés, Juan, better known as Chongo over on Twitter, and had him and Rod, who, you know, Rod is here every week, always killing it every time, had the two of them take a look at what is easily one of the darkest, loudest, most starts at 100 crossovers Marvel's done in the last few years. I hope you guys love this segment as much as I loved listening to it and editing it. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and this is the next segment of X's for Pod. Right now, we're going to talk about the new event called King in Black. I'm Rodders. You can find me at Rod, the on Twitter and Instagram. And today, I have my fiance with me. Hi, everybody. I am Juan. You can find me at Chongo ATX. I'm sorry, Rodney does not know how to actually say the name of this book right. It's actually King in Black. Well, thank you for that. I do. You did say a lot better than me. And yes, we're going to talk about King and Black today. And yeah, and King and Black is basically the god of the symbiotes waking up, being very pissed off on what's happened to him and want to take over the universe. And now he's on Earth. And now we're seeing what's happening when he gets to Earth and meeting all of our heroes. Yeah. So um, basically, this is. The next event, spinning off of Empire, which was the last time you heard us both together talking, this actually tied up at the last end of Empire, which I think we kind of have to talk about it because it sets the stage of how impending doom threat Null is going to be. Like, we see this um, Kree Scroll Alliance going to go investigate why these planets are going silent, and in the process, they find a pod. And that pod ends up being filled with symbiotes, end up taking over the whole ship, leaving one survivor. And with that, we see Noel there. And Noel is basically leaving this guy as a message to everyone to let him know that Doom is coming. And we see him flying on the Grendel, headed towards Earth with all of these dragons. And it's just like a black void of dragons. So that is where we're at right now at the beginning of King in Black where Eddie Brock basically senses it, his other senses it, that Noel is here. Shit's about to hit the fan. Oh, yeah. And I love that we first start off with Eddie and him sensing it and telling the Avengers, like, hey, Cap and everybody else, like, it's time to get this plan starting in motion. And speaking of Eddie and the whole Venom run, I love that towards the, the start of King and Black, Donny Cates has really integrated Eddie working with the Avengers, and they even invited him to basically be an Avenger at one point. Like, I I really like that he is becoming more and more of a hero and out of the villain role and into his own person, because one thing I have to really commend Donny Cates about, which was his goal, is that to get Venom and Eddie Brock out of Peter Parker, Spider-Man Shadow. And he has definitely done that. I mean, he's had two whole events surrounded for Venom and basically just for Venom. And Spider-Man isn't even really involved in this event. I mean, he's involved because everyone on Earth is involved. 
but it isn't centered around Spider-Man. It's centered around Eddie, around Venom. Yeah, as far as we know right now, there is no Spider-Man tie-in to this event. We do see that, like, the Avengers have given Eddie, like, a system to communicate with them all to alert them for when Noel is here. And in the process, Eddie is trying to find a, w- a place to hide his son, Dylan, because Dylan actually has the ability to also sense the symbiotes, but he can communicate with Noel. He's got this link with Noel that we still don't understand completely. And I don't think Dylan understands completely, especially Brock does not understand. He's got like, it's kind of like Harry Potter where like he can sense Voldemort mm-hmm. and they tell him you have to learn how to shut yourself off to him. Yeah. That's exactly what they're doing with Dylan where he's like, you can't be communicating. You can't open yourself to him because if you open yourself to him, he can find you. He can come get you. So Eddie's like hiding him, even though Dylan wants to be part of this. He's like, let me go. I can I can help you, especially since in the Venom story, we saw him go in this parallel universe and he was able to control symbiotes there. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I found this new ability. Maybe it can work with Noel as well. Yeah, that is good. I didn't even make that Harry Potter connection. It's kind of funny because as some of you might not even know, Donny Case doesn't even like Harry Potter. No. So <laughs> the fact that he kind of made his key character right now and the key character's son based basically kind of like a reflection of the Harry Potter story is very ironic. And I just want to talk about like how this, I mean, this whole book is very badass, but can we talk about how crazy the dragons are in this book, the symbiote dragons? I mean, if you haven't been keeping up with the Venom story, then you, you know, you wouldn't know anything about these dragons. But if you have kept up with the Venom story, then you've seen these dragons multiple times, especially the the biggest one. Mm -hmm. But I know I saw a lot of people on Twitter when they were first getting this first issue, haven't read anything really of Venom, just a few people. And they were like, what is the deal with these symbiote dragons? Why why are they like this? What is going on? I'm just like, if you need to read it, like go back and read the whole, it's on Marvel U. <laughs> go back and read all of Venom. It's worth it. Or at least read the Null Marvel Tales. That yeah. will let you know a lot about Null and most likely I think the dragon or the dragons and give you a lot of updates. So if you are confused why this first issue of an event starts at like a 10 go read no marvel tales and that will kind of ease you in a little bit more than this because this has been like a two-year preparation oh even more than that if you really want to get into it because i think donnie is spinning off of stuff that jason aaron had introduced already oh that's right and his run at the beginning of god bomb where it comes with the darkness and the sword kind of like um this dark suit that takes over gore that turns him into the god killer Mm. or god butcher yeah so uh yeah it's been going on for quite a bit so the build-up has been there and these dragons are insane which i also like because they tied in empire into this is still because they had the kree warships up in space the kree the big massive ships that we saw in empire they had all the ships just flying around like space debris but they had rigged them to be explosives so that was like the front line for when the Grendels showed up. They detonate them thinking, you know, oh, we're going to be able to stop them before they get here. Then maybe stop like 5% of those dragons. If that, like it basically did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and when they realize this, you get to like the big splash page, the two page spread where it tells you King and Black. And all you see is all of these dragons darkening the skyline. 
kind of showing you the like intensity that this story is about to take on. I mean, this story is definitely intense. I mean, it, if you definitely haven't read it, don't listen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> take a pause. We've already said too much. Take a pause. Read everything you need to read. Read this issue and then come back because we're about to basically spoil all of it because um, we're going through the whole book. But... I mean, after we see the sky raining down hundreds and hundreds of symbiote dragons, we go back to Eddie and his son, Dylan, and he's trying to protect Dylan because as you know, Dylan is basically the chosen one. He's basically the chosen one of the symbiotes and because he's, as we kind of find out earlier, a little bit earlier in the series, that he's half symbiote, half human, technically. Like, it, I think Donnie's going to go more technicality in that. Or explain that more, but he can basically control symbiotes, as we said before. So he's trying to protect them. You know, he's the secret weapon, and he doesn't want his son to get hurt either. Like, Eddie's trying to really be a good father, and he doesn't even want any of this to happen to his son. I mean, Eddie just came back, like Juan said, from an alternate dimension where they were there for at least a year, yeah. I believe. A little bit more than a year. A little more than a year where Eddie also met his long lost love that died in this universe and he met an alternate universe of. And they were together for a whole year being a family. So he just had being a whole year with his kid again. He's like, I don't want to lose him. I just got closer to him. I'm actually being a father. And then this is happening. He's like, I have to protect him even if I don't survive. And I love that we have this like deep emotional connection with this. Like this book has not just action, but like deep emotional emphasis on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one thing Donnie does a really good job is kind of giving Eddie this reason to fight. And besides, you know, just trying to survive and killer instinct. But it's because he now wants to make retribution for everything he's ever done. He wants to basically be the opposite of his, what his father was to him. He's trying to prove that he can be a good father, that he can be everything besides the broken man. And here's his opportunity to do so. But in doing so, he's also, like, not letting his son participate. It's the typical grown-ups not listening to the kid thing, thinking that they're doing what's best for for him, not knowing that, you know, they can do something to help this whole event. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, I think probably, I mean, we're guessing here. Towards the end of this event, I'm sure Dylan is going to be a big factor in stopping Noel. Like, I'm sure he's going to be probably one of the reasons Noel gets destroyed, if Noel gets destroyed in this. I'm assuming he will, since we're having this big event. You never know. At least he'll be able to get stopped, probably by Dylan. Yeah. And then I love that we see in this big, actually seeing the heroes on the forefront trying to defend, as you know, New York City. It's always New York City. But we see Living Lightning, which, you know... Awesome gay superhero. We haven't seen him since No Road Home. Honestly, he's a really cool character. And I hope since we're seeing him again, maybe we'll see him in other stories. Writers and creators can be like, oh, yeah, that character exists. Maybe I should put him in something. <laughs> so I'm glad Donnie did at least for like a little shot like this. Yeah, they were smart because they, they know that the symbiote's weakness are like lightning and cosmic powers and magic. So they had all those people there. You see your Doctor Strange, you see Monica Rambeau, and you see Living Lightning and Iron Fist. So you have your street level teams and you have your cosmic teams and you have your magic teams. And they're like the secondary line of defense. The first one was supposed to be the Cree ships that were up in the air, but they broke that. So they have to go to Pan B, which is the everyone man up and Avengers assemble. And then we get this amazing splash page of the second wave. 
in Washington Square Park of the X-Men, which as you know, because of the conclusion of X of Swords, the X-Men are a thing again. And the X-Men are here to be heroes again and try to save the world. And I think probably one of their first missions is King in Black. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was really smart of them to time this the way they did, that it was right after King's X of Swords, because like you said, we did find out that they're going to start being the hero squad, the actual legit X-Men again, which means like, you know, going out and doing everything for the betterment of a community that hates and fears them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when people are like, well, why would the X-Men want to do something with King of Buck? Why does it matter to them? To help because Krakoa was on Earth. And if Earth gets taken over, what do you think is going to happen? Exactly. And I do have to say, Ryan Stegman, just to let the X fans know, because some of them were confused, he confirmed that is young Cable. He said he drew him as a handsome Cable. So that is our official handsome Cable, but it's still young Cable. Yeah. So The designs he got was apparently he couldn't tell because it's Phil Noto art. So I'm sure he couldn't tell whether it was older or younger because... Phil Nova kind of draws him in the weird middle kind of ambiguous way. Yeah. I love that Donnie writes Professor X so arrogant here. Because he's like, surely a god of thunder would be helpful because Thor is missing. But I suggest the goddess of... And then Storm is like, Charles, please. I'm trying to concentrate. Just shut up. <laughs> Let me just do my job. I do have to... Guys, Donnie in one book and one like story gave us a badass Storm yeah. that it took other writers so long to do. He did it in one freaking book. Yeah, he did. I mean, I'm sure he'll be on the X book maybe one point, maybe in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once he gets some more free time. But then we have the third wave, which Eddie says in the book is the worst wave because the third wave is all about him connecting to something that was in Absolute Carnage, the way Absolute Carnage was controlling all his little codexes that he used to control people with. And this was the headquarters of it. As you know, Carnage is technically gone. We don't really know where he is. He kind of died and then kind of came back. We're not sure. But he tries to take over or see if he can take over all the dragons, which proves a little futile. Yeah, so he was trying to connect with them and trying to stop them that way. He's like, well, maybe... I can connect to them because he also has, I think, two codices. So he's trying to be kind of like the final stopper to it. He's trying to plug it. But the thing is, it's an overflow. And when you know when you try to plug up an overflow, what happens? It just gets worse. It does. And first we see Dr. Strange get taken down, which is a big hitter. I mean, he is the Sorcerer Supreme. So if Dr. Strange gets taken down, I mean, you're on the way of being fucked right there. So, and then big reveal. One of the, not the biggest reveal (laughs) in this book or in this issue, but one of the big reveals is that Noel has nullified the Celestials because If you know, if you've been reading Venom, that Null has a history with the Celestials. They're the ones that basically knocked him off of his pedestal when he was trying to you know, take over the universe in the beginning. And he does not like them. So when he woke up, given his new, you know, fresh start on life, he decided to get his revenge. And boy, did he, because look at them. They are nullified goodness. And man, that is scary to see. All the heroes are terrified. Yeah, because like this, they were they were the keepers of Null. They had, they actually created a whole planet of symbiotes that were keeping him trapped. He busted out, which you can read more of that in Silver Surfer Black. He busted out of there and mm, took over these celestials and making his big grand diva entrance. And <laughs> that one big splash page, it is beautiful. He's like, I'm going to kill your world. In the meantime, I'm looking for a human named Brock. So bring him to me and this can be painless. 
and as quickly as I, I am capable, that is all. And I'm like, he just came in with swagger, just saying, give me what I want and you don't have to die. But we know that's never how it goes. Oh, that's never how it goes. I do love that. This is not the first time we've seen no talk, but more to our heroes or to the planet Earth in general. And I love that he makes him just like this sassy, no-nonsense villain. Yeah. Like, he's just like, I came here to do what I want. I'm all powerful. Just lay down and die so I get what I want. <laughs> But now we see him facing all the heroes, and he's like, well, look at this. I have a party to greet me, and where are y'all supposed to be? And Captain America, as he does, is, you know, a little smug. He's like, we got you. We have a secret weapon up our hands, so we're just going to watch while you get beat up. And then we see a reveal. We see the Sentry. We saw the Sentry come back in Annihilation Conquest. Which, ironically enough, Donny Cates brought back the Sentry mm-hmm. in his Doctor Strange run. And that's the last time we saw him. And we know he's been somewhere. They obviously contacted him. And as you know, Sentry is basically, if you want to make this comparison, basically the Superman yeah. of the Marvelverse. So he is crazy strong. He's always like, he can't even really be on Earth because he causes so much problems. So they call him. He rips through one of the Celestials. And that makes Noel really mad. So they are fighting. Next page is like Noel, I mean, um, the Sentry or Bob <laughs> taking up in the air. And if you have any experience with Bob, he likes to rip people in half. He's ripped Ares in half and he's ripped Carnage in half. So he's like, well, this will be over quick. Let me just do that again. And Noel is like, well, <laughs> funny thing is, I know who you are and let me stop you right there and just do that to you instead. Because he knows what he's going to do. He knows about the Sentry because of Carnage. He knows all the information from Carnage because Carnage connected with him in Absolute Carnage, the event. And that is one of the biggest wow moments. I had to put down the issue when I first read this is the callback to Sentry ripping apart Ares is Noel ripping apart the Sentry and then absorbing the Void because Noel is the Void. Noel is king of the darkness. Yeah. Noel is the void before the light, before creation. Mm -hmm. He ruled. So he thinks it's like, oh, sweetheart, you think you're you're all powerful and your other is going to come out. And he goes, no, I am the thing that created your other. So he takes him essentially the same way he took Wraith's ability. He took Sentry's other and we ain't got no Sentry no more. Yeah. And if you don't know who Wraith is, I suggest you read Web of Venom Wraith. <laughs> and that story is really good. I suggest you go read that and you'll learn even more about Noel because Noel is a big part of that story. And he was part of Annihilation. Exactly. The first sure. Annihilation. He was part of Annihilation. That's right. So now after doing that, Noel is basically done. He's like, that's all you got. That's your, that was your last stand. Well, let's just, you know, let's just take care of y'all now. So as you have seen in the page, the symbiote dragons have basically made all of New York like symbiote. You know, they spread everywhere, the floor is symbiote and everything. And now Noel calls upon them to basically absorb and take all the heroes. And as we've all seen, it's hard to get off a symbiote off of you after you do that. Especially if the god of the symbiotes is controlling them, there's no way they're gonna get out. So they're taken. And then he covers the whole entire planet. Makes all the dragons come together to cover the whole entire planet of symbiotes. It looks like the symbiote planet that Noel was actually imprisoned in on this big splash page. And it is very impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because it's like, well, the symbiotes are like this big ooze that once they attach to you, it's their choice to let go. But yeah, he encases this our planet 
to take over the stars, take over the light, and just envelop it in darkness, which is tragic because the last person fighting that we actively see is Storm, and she's bringing down the houses. Only she can. But the thing is, she is the last person standing, and he comes, and he's like, hello, little light, and just takes her down, and really just sets everyone in darkness. Yeah, he just, like, gobbles her up. Nom, 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 nom. All little goddess. And Tony and Professor X are just sad, and they're like, well, what do they do now? Now they're contacting Eddie, and Eddie's like, well, you know, he wants me, or at least that's what Eddie thinks. And he's like, maybe I'll give y'all some time if he just takes me now. Even if I die, you know, it's fine. Maybe I'll give y'all a head start. So he calls upon Noel, and Noel gets this, he's controlling the big symbiote, makes it a big hand, and gets down and crunches him up and brings it to him. And, uh, I mean, this, the whole visuals for all of this is very impressive. Frank Martin and Ryan Stegman working together. I mean, this is an absolutely beautiful book. Well, he said that this is the hardest book he's ever had to do. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, Ryan Stegman is very, like, making his art look like it's flowing. Making look like it's very action-y, look like it's going as you're reading it. And he very much does this in this book. And then we have Noel basically choking out Eddie and Venom and saying, you know, do you see, like, all work? I'm killing the light. You know, I'm taking the light out from this earth. And Eddie's like, please just take me. It doesn't have to be this way. And he rips the face off of him. He's like, wait, I know you. I thought I killed you. And he's like, well, funny how, you know, minds work. But I do apologize. I don't want you. I want the other Brock. He came for his son. Because why would he, in retrospect, why would he need Eddie? Mm -hmm. Eddie doesn't have any powers. Like, yes, he has a close connection to the Venom symbiote. But that's just one symbiote out of the hundreds of symbiote that Noel has. Yeah. Which is funny, too, because when you think about it, um, there's previous stories where we find out that Venom, the symbiote of Venom, is actually the runt of the litter. Mm -hmm. He was actually shunned within the Clintar species. So he attached... He's like a broken alien that attached himself to a broken human to make themselves whole. So to Noel, he's like, oh, look, you have this sad little weak symbiote. And he takes it away from him. He's holding him in a chokehold, rips off the symbiote, basically leaving him buck ass naked <laughs> and drops his ass drops down him. into the freaking city. And that's where we we end this book. It's like trying to figure out what Eddie's fate is. And we have this image of this hand just dropping him. And it's kind of like the hands about to cover your face up, like take, hide all the dark, the light from your face. And it was an intense final page. Oh, yes. And just to go back a little bit, I know Donnie Kate said on Twitter that we're actually going to learn, or he hinted at that we're going to learn why the Venom symbiote was actually captured and put in that machine in the first Secret Wars. And because, you know, we never really know that. We know that, you know, Spider-Man kind of mistakenly got it, pushed the wrong buttons and got that as his suit. But we don't know why he was in there. We know he was the runt of the symbiote family. He's the one that wanted to really connect with the host or the only one that really wanted to connect with the host. Because symbiotes usually, they absorb the host, they take what they can, and they move on to the another host. They don't try to really keep the host alive or connect with them but the one the venom one is the one that broke out of that mold he was the black sheep of the family so i'm excited to see how you know we learn that he got captured and everything, mm -hmm. or it got captured yeah so what are your overall thoughts of this oh i mean i loved king and black i was not expecting so much to happen 
Like, I think the the two are really three things that shocked me was the Celestials mm-hmm. covering the Earth in symbiotes. So we don't see the sun or anything anymore. No mm-hmm. one can even escape to fly out into outer space. And him ripping Sentry in half. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I could see the, the Celestials coming. Like, that wasn't... It was a shock, but I was like, oh, okay, that's a big gun. You're bringing that. That's fine. That's expected. But I didn't expect him to cover the Earth already. Maybe issue two, but I didn't expect that to happen issue one. This is like balls to the wall already. Mm-hmm. Super crazy. And then to rip Sentry in half? Like, he already took out all the heroes, destroyed one of the toughest heroes that Hulk couldn't even kill. And he's already taken over the whole world, basically. Yeah, like, you, um, Noel comes in just swinging that freaking hammer, and he let it go down in his first issue. And he was like, there, I, I took claim. I, I told you I was coming, and I came, and you didn't do anything. You had nothing to stop me. And we had nothing to stop we him. We had nothing to stop <laughs> him. <laughs> he, he took over, and... It was like, it was like a movie where you got dropped into the climax of it and you're working your way backwards now. I feel like because we're like, okay, where do we go from here? Because it, if you start off so strong, I'm like, okay, I, is it going to dip? Is it going to go slow? Is the third issue going to be the slow issue? Like, it's one of those where like, okay, what's going to happen now? How are they going to keep this pace up? And if if it's intensity, 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 when are they going to give us a moment to breathe? Yes, exactly. I That's one of the things I was really shocked by is that because in most events, you don't get like a big, big battle, which I'm sure we're still going to get a big battle, obviously, but not like a citywide, earthwide battle in the first issue. Sometimes second, usually like the fourth issue you get that, but this was the first spanking issue and not even, we got that maybe in the first few pages as well. So I agree. I don't know how he's going to keep it going. So actioning are so intense. But Donny Cates has definitely proven that he can do that in his other books. Like he basically did that in Absolute Carnage to an extent. And he did that with so far in Thor. Thor, he's definitely kept the intensity in Thor too, which also came out last week. So yeah, and for those of who are who are wondering, because they do mention Thor a lot, Thor is trapped inside Donald Blake's reality when he's not Thor. Well, Odin created Donald Blake's persona for Thor, so he can be a mortal. So he's trapped inside Donald Blake's fake world, being trapped there, not able to come out, and he's not around to help. Yeah, because Donald Blake has been in that other universe for years, basically forgot about him. I mean, everyone forgot about him. Yeah. But Donny Case brought him back. Thor was having trouble being king. He wanted to break, so he was going to let his human persona take over. Well, little did he know, his human persona was going to take over. Was going to take over. He went insane, like basically killed one of the ancient dragons that was also in that reality. Mm-hmm. He absorbed his power, and now he's trapped the king of Asgard, Thor, in his own universe, in his own little bitty universe, and is using his body to wreak havoc. So that's where Thor is right now. At least that's what we think. Because what's happening in Thor is still is happening before King of Black, at least a little bit. So we're thinking Thor is still trapped in the universe. We know he's not on Earth, or at no. least not present on Earth right now. So I'm sure we're going to see him later in the event. I don't think it would... I don't think Donnie would not put him in the event, especially since he's riding Thor. Yeah, Thor's always played an important part in every Marvel event. Yeah, well, especially this one, because Thor is 
the god of thunder mm-hmm. and that's what Null's weakness is and thor has a past mm-hmm. of dealing with Null and other symbiotes so and it's all cosmic and he's the king of asgard so he would have to be in this event yeah but i would give this event i mean it might be generous to some but i would give this event a 10 10 because i don't i don't think i would change anything like i liked from the first page to the last page it wowed me it kept me interested and i'm definitely excited to read basically all the tie-ins because we are getting all the tie-ins so yeah i i give this a solid 8.5 the reason it's not a perfect 10 for me is because it is so intense that i'm like it needs it needs room to breathe a little bit like you feel like there's so much here. every page you're like oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit and then it's done where like you needed those little quiet moments sometimes which i guess they gave us a little quiet moments with eddie when he's like looking around mm-hmm. And you're hearing Eddie's thoughts. But even then, there's so much intensity around it. And also because I feel like if you jump into this King and Black story, for a lot of people, it's going to be very confusing. Mm -hmm. That's one of the main gripes people had with Empire, that they didn't know the history that was involved in Empire. They came in and there was nothing to tell them what's happening, really. That's true. So that's why I feel like some people will be like, ugh, here's this null thing I don't know nothing about, but I hear all the time. That was one thing that I wish Marvel would have done like as a company because I mean the the writers and creators can only do so much if you don't read the main story that the event's about but I wish they would have released like they released the Marvel Tales of Noel, which may, you know, got you to explain basically Noel and see mm-hmm. all his stories and the Marvel Venus that happened before this but I wish they made a Marvel Tales that would be like, hey, please read this before you read King in Black. That kind of like a like a zero, like a like a zero, zero, like a zero, but not like like a zero of just what's been like a summary yeah. of what's kind of been happening. Like let's recap. Real let's quick. recap, and it didn't. It could be like a cheap issue, like two ninety nine, just so they can read it and want to read it, just so they can still get the issue. Because this issue also wasn't that expensive compared to the other number one issues of Vince. It was only five ninety nine. So that was, I think, that's one of the reasons why a lot you know, of people. It's a hefty book, but it. It, it definitely, like, it sets up a lot of what is going to probably unroll here soon. Yeah, the page count is technically 32. It's 39, but if you don't count the explaining pages of the next issues, then it's 32 with just the story. Uh, so it's it's not as big as some events have been. Like, some of them have been, like, 40 or 60, which I think they didn't want to... With all that was happening, I don't think they wanted to overload people. Yeah, because it was already a lot. It was already a lot. But yes, I think... I know I've had some people that really enjoyed the event for what it was, but they didn't... They were confused why it went to 100 so fast. And if you've been reading along, like, basically Venom's journey, you understand that it went from a 100 at the start because he's and slowly telling his tale so it makes sense but if you're not reading it then you can be a little lost that's why i suggest people go on the app and read the issues yeah this is this is a culmination of of donnie's story he's been building up to this just like jason aaron build up to war of the realms donnie was building up to king and black Exactly. Just a disclaimer. So far, there's only been two ties in the Union and Atlantis attacks. You don't really have to read those. You don't have to read those, but the tie-ins that I do suggest you read that will be making most likely an impact is Venom number 31 because it shows what's going to happen to Eddie after Noel drops him from a skyscraper after taking the Venom symbiote. King of Black Immortal Hulk because as we have all been reading, hopefully, <laughs> Immortal Hulk, 
by Al Ewing. It's an incredible story, and I'm sure Immortal Hulk is going to have some kind of big impact in this story, at least involving him, and that would be fun to read. And then King in Black, Namor. Now, I haven't been reading that much of Namor, but we all know Namor is... I mean, a big badass. So I'm assuming that it's going to have some effect. Well, the thing is, it's it's actually like they're retroactively throwing Namor into the history of the symbiote or with Noel because it is a Namor standalone just for King and Black. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see how they're going to tie his history together with this. That's that's exactly and right. The one that I'm actually really excited for is Black Cat because not that many people remember that Black Cat did at one time have a symbiote. She was one of the uh like a whole group of symbiotes. Uh, it wasn't toxins, I can't remember their names, but she had one before and she has several tie-ins. So that should be really cool. Cool to see. Yes, she does. Black Cat has been one of my favorite series by Jed McKay, and I'm glad that it's coming back for this event and onward. I'm really excited to see Black Cat and another uh, symbiote nullified and all that. And also for the connection, this will be tying in as well with Sword. Sword number two will be tied into King and Black. I know it's really early for the issues to tie into a major event, but when you think about what Sword is affiliated with, it's the cosmic side of X Men. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what role sword plays in this whole story it would be interesting i do have i want one question one fun question so because this has been real dramatic because it's all about an event who besides because we know black cat is going to get nullified and probably hulk and namor maybe but who else would you like to see nullified that we haven't already been confirmed for the whole event for the whole event hmm because as we know, the symbiotes, whenever they connect with somebody in any kind of event, because there's been a plenty of symbiote events, we get some pretty cool designs. Honestly, nullified Spider-Woman. Oh yeah, she is getting a tie-in. She's got a tie-in, and I have a feeling, I have a feeling, <laughs> it's going to be tied in with her black suit that she's had. Because she's been acting really cray, and I feel like it's also has something. They're trying to play it off that it's the virus inside of her that's making her crazy, but I feel like that black suit is a reason. So I want to see her nullified or something fied because I want to see her back in her old costume. That would be pretty awesome. I would personally like to see Ghost Rider nullified because I don't even know if he's going to be in this event. I know he's on Earth, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that would be really cool because he looks really cool. Venomized. So a nullified is like the extreme venomous. That is a good question. I would uh, both Robbie, Danny, or Johnny. (laughs) I would like to see the top, which is Robbie to me anyway, which is Robbie and Johnny. Do you know Donnie uh, Robbie's a top? He probably is a top. He he gives top energy. He gives top energy. He Oh yeah, he's got that shade cut on the side. Yeah, he gives he's he's very he's he's very punk. I don't think, well, I mean, some punks, I guess I shouldn't discriminate. He's a some, cholo. Some punks can be bottoms, are verse. I shouldn't say just because you're butch doesn't mean you're a top. But. Hey guys, Nico here. And as a Robbie Reyes mega stan who is preparing his Robbie Reyes cosplay, I do tend to agree. I do think Robbie would be a top. Yeah. <laughs> I think both Ghost Riders would be cool to see nullified mm-hmm. and see what they can do. Because as we know, I think Black Cat's gonna get nullified, but are they still gonna be is she gonna be able to fight off the influence of Null and be her own person? Like that's the yeah. thing I'm 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 interested to see. Like, are these characters gonna be able to fight this influence and use a symbiote that, that's yeah. possessing them? That's gonna be really interesting to see. Actually, you know what? No, like if I don't know if Immortal Hulk's gonna be um, nullified, but I think it'd be interesting to see Hulk too because he's going through his own 
whole thing with you know the green the green door Mm -hmm. so it should be interesting to see if he can even be taken over because of this whole huge demonic monster inside of him the leader is trying to take over his body so that should be an interesting read yeah and i wonder if the leader is even i mean the leader is all up in his grill right now so i wonder if the leader is even going to be seen in this event which Mm -hmm. is also be interesting because he has like crazy amounts of power right now Mm -hmm. which has never been the leader the leader's always been kind of a joke except for his mind he's never been powerful Mm -hmm. so actually see him in an event being powerful would be like a first (laughs) but yeah i mean that was that was king of black y'all that i really enjoyed the event um we both did and we'll be back again in two weeks talking about king of black number two and hopefully we have raven reviews about that one as well so thank y'all for listening and you know have a good nullified day (laughs) bye bye everybody nico here one last time and this next segment was sort of a happy accident in the course of doing another segment jonah nathan and i just wound up talking so much about sword and not so much the actual issue itself and what the issue contained but rather what sword could come to represent for a bold new dawning day of x-men and it really was fascinating to realize the ways in which our coverage of sword number one was very different than the team that was already doing its coverage and we came to find that we really were looking at S.W.O.R.D. as a group as less of an individual issue, less of a kickoff, so much as something that talks about the state of X and the ways in which the X universe can't help but change. For that reason, we had to do a little something about it, and we've presented it together, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Excess for Podcast. I'm Nico Action, and you can find me at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, I'm Nathan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. DazzlerAOA. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. And is that a, I hope we survive this experience? I, I mean, like, I think everybody survived pretty good. This was, oh gosh. So before we can even get too far ahead of ourselves, we're here to talk about sword number one and the ways in which it dynamically changed the X-Men universe, hopefully forever, right? Now, it is so significant that we take a moment and single out this incredible team that worked on this book, because this book was clearly a, I don't want to say pained labor of love, but I don't think there was a single word that wasn't thought about a zillion times in working on this book. This was quite seriously one of the most explosive debuts Marvel has had since Hoxpox. A lot of people online said that this was basically Hoxpox 7, and I really, really agree. Al Ewing and Valerio Shidi created one of the most dynamic things I've read in an incredibly long time. The book is, um, as was explained by Al Ewing, the book is built around roles, right? This isn't just throw some characters together and see what happens. And so before we even talk about S.H.I.E.L.D. and the bigger picture we're going to talk about with it, I just want, I'm going to stand out there and say, I gave this book an A, 
right? Like as close to perfect as you can get without giving a perfect score, just in case issue two is better. I don't want to have to change the scale, <laughs> right? I don't want to be like, this got an A plus. Man, two was so good. It gets a lemonade asterisk because, Ooh. you know, you have to come up with a new scale, right? So Jonah, Nathan, how did you guys feel about sword number one? Were you as enamored? Because I mean, seriously, I walked away going, sword is the ward. Oh my God. It gets like 20 puppies and kitties. No, it's like an A plus 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 plus. I would say like a 98%. 98 like... was my number two. Yeah, but loved it. Oh my God. Oh, everything. I was really excited by this. I thought it was a really cool, interesting read. I was like, X-Men in space, but they have a spaceship this time. <laughs> so I was like, oh, dip. This is really cool. I'm into this. My only only slight 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 complaint is that there's one panel where we see magneto's face and it just looks weird to me because every oh, other oh no 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 oh i called it vaudeville magneto where <laughs> like he's making a cue john delancey kind of face i know exactly what panel you're talking about a trillion percent because I was like, every other time we've seen Magneto, he's been this really hot, like, silver fox daddy. And I was just like, or uh, Maggie magnetized? Nope, that's not a good pun. But I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm like super into Magneto. But like, I was like, oh, maybe we just do doggy. Right? He was, it, <laughs> woof. It was a little bit like, it was almost kind of um, goofy a little bit, right? And not complaining because the art really was super stunning. And I actually, the, the day after it came out, I tweeted at Valerio Shidi and I was just like, dude, this book was so fucking brilliant and it had so many people in it. Who's your favorite character to draw? And he was just like, Fabian Cortez. And I was <laughs> like, you can see the painstaking effort that went into making Fabian Cortez look exactly the right kind of deranged. Yes. It was, I, I just can't. I literally can't. This book whether it's the fact that there are men of color and women of color and they are not the same, they're not the same ethnicity, right? They are different people with different cultural backgrounds, that there are men and women in roles of power, right? So there's Magneto, but to balance out Magneto, there's Abigail Brand. And it's unbelievable that even Wizkid, a character with a disability, got to be front and fucking center in this book, this is definitely a high point of the Jonathan Hickman reimagining of Hoxpox. And I am so happy that we went from the five to the six. And my precious Blink is here. You know, really, it should be Exiles Blink, but I'm not going to split hairs. If it's 616 Blink, fine. I would really rather it be Exiles Blink. <laughs> but but either leaves, Exiles Blink. But that leaves that leaves Blink free. Exiles Blink free for a new Exiles book, maybe in the future. Hopefully, please, please, please. You know, I just want Exiles to come back, led by Psylocke, on a mission to find all of her Captain Britain selves. Yeah, like, that's really what I want. She's been in Exile before, so it's not like this would be new to her. She led the Exiles from issue eighty nine to issue one hundred. And in fact, that culminated with a battle with the new Excalibur team in something called X-Men Die by the Sword. Yep. And so it even did kind of have the same multiversity kind of feel to it. And it just, uh, I can't stop talking about how this book is making me rethink X-Men in a lot of ways. If I was surprised by something, in contrast to our conversation about Juggernaut, which we had earlier, this book didn't really have a single plot. 
Like, mm. this wasn't really a, oh, man, and now we're going to fight Magneto! Or, <laughs> you know, oh, no, Apocalypse just landed his pyramid in the middle of Las Vegas, and no one can tell that it's not a casino. Like, <laughs> this isn't one of those go-chop-chop-bad-guy kind of situations. This was, let's have an incredibly detailed understanding of a unit, which I think is where a lot of the Hoxpox comparison is coming from. So few of those early Hoxpox issues, specifically like one and two of each, had a punch-punch plot. You know, there's the saber-tooth thing in number one. But really what we were looking at was a dynamic examination of an ever-changing, evolving universe that was always supposed to be about evolution that became static for 50 years. So, okay, I need to refocus because I'm so excited about this book. I just can't (laughs) stop. And I need to take a step back. There's something I want to say about S.W.O.R.D. And I know I mentioned it to you at one point, Nathan, but I kind of feel... So, Nathan, you made a comment that Twitter gets real abuzz about things, real hot. Like, X-Twitter is a great barometer for how crazy things are making people. Right. And I mean that like lovingly as somebody who has struggled with mental illness. I'm not saying crazy in a mean way, but like, you know, you really do see how a book that maybe comes out of nowhere blows people's mind. I mean, the reviews across the board are brilliant for Sword and maybe getting a little bit less response than I thought it would online. And I wonder if that has to do with its entry point. Ten of Swords was, for most people's taste, maybe six or seven issues too long and maybe paced oddly. But the issues that come out the easiest are X-Factor, because anybody could have had Polaris' premonition and it could have gone anywhere, right? Hellions, which told a story that seems to only further Hellions. But hey, put that crossover banner on that book to increase sales. I want to see Hellions run forever. The book that I felt suffered the most for being an X of Swords was definitely Cable. The Cable issues sought only to set up Sword in a way that I actually felt served no purpose in Ten of Swords. The whole, oh, Sword is the other Sword. Okay. Oh, look, more alien monster cavalry. Uh, Okay. But like, I could have lived without a bunch of that. And it wouldn't have changed the story. So I wonder if some of the hesitation on Sword is that it features Cable, who if you read Ten of Swords, you're like, wait, but what does this sword shit have to do with anything? And the event was just called Ten of Swords. And then it turned out the swords meant nothing. And now you're calling this book Sword. I wonder if that entry point into the title is part of what the difficulty was in getting this book some energy going. Right? How do you guys feel about this "quote unquote" spinning out of Ten of Swords? Uh, I I think if it had spun out somehow out of its initial like revelation point of the end of Empire, I, I think people were more excited about and there was more buzz about Sword as a series out of that last panel where you've got Brand and Manifold and looks like uh, Wiccan and Hulkling are like dead and the court is like I, I really 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 think you would have gotten a lot more excitement and play if we'd released it a little bit closer to Empire and spun it out of that. Um, I get why it has to come out of X of Swords because it's Xbox, but um, um, you know, I, I just really think it didn't really do much in Ten of Swords. Jonah, as our resident Cable, as our, you know, Wonderkin youngin who comes in and has all the knowledge, right, yet is still newest to the game, what were your thoughts on this being a direct result of Ten of Swords? I 
I think I'm of the mindset that everything, yet absolutely nothing happened in this issue. So to have the title be... Okay, actually, I want to take this to a place of video games and Nintendo for just a minute. The Wii was one of the most successful gaming at uh, home consoles that's ever been created, and it took the world by storm when it was first, you know, announced and was first here. And for people who do remember, and maybe there are younger people who do listen to our podcast who don't know, the Wii was the hottest commodity, and for a long time, if you didn't already have it, you couldn't find it anywhere. It was constantly out of stock. Yeah, so the way I got my Wii, because I got my Wii within two months of release, my dad at that point worked on... uh, park and fifth and i begged him to go to work two hours early one day to go to the nintendo store and he waited outside for like an hour and a half oh, no. <laughs> but he brought me home my wii and i uh i had a wii before just about anyone i knew and that is why mine uh is so fucking dinged up to high hell pieces of the case are missing but you can ask jonah it is it, until i got my switch it was still hooked up huh. yes but so the Wii took the world by storm and Nintendo was like, we need to, you know, innovate more. What is the next at-home console? Oh boy, and then the Wii U happened. And did Wii it U, sell like PU? Yes, oh, because yeah, it gross. sold so poorly and did so bad in terms of, you know, the success that Nintendo just saw. And then we'll later see with the Switch. But the interim between the Wii and the Switch of the Wii U was really bad. And part of the problem, the real part of the issue with the Wii U was the name. Wii U is just a really terrible name. It, it didn't have anything to do with the Wii. It didn't have. You can use your Wii controllers on it, but. It was just weird. It was this successor to this amazing device, but it, the name just, it didn't fit, and it was not good overall. And had it had a different name, it would have seen probably a much larger success. Because with the name Wii U, you would expect, oh, this is just a continuation. This is just, maybe there's just different features that I don't need that I have on my Wii. Whatever that may be. That's kind of how I feel about this, and even though it's actually a really good story, I think the name is damaging it a little too much. We just had this Ten of Swords crossover that, at least within our podcast, had mixed reviews. Great things happen, introduced some really colorful, interesting characters, but, you know, took a few issues too long and paced oddly New Drag Queen Season 14, because 13 was just announced. I don't know if people are willing going to give this a chance because if they just read Ten of Swords, whether they liked it or not, then to read another issue called Sword is weird because you're like, well, I just already read this. I don't, I'm not going to pick this up. Why, why would I need to read this? And I think that's where maybe they shot themselves in the foot. Ooh, you know what this would have really benefited from? You know, like when they did the original reading order with Hoxbox, you know that they used to have like the red issues, the red issues, the red yeah. issues, the really important ones. I, I This obviously would have been a red issue. Like, I think if they still did that kind of thing, like maybe people would realize like, wow, this is like game changing right here. And, you know, Jonah, I really love that you made that point about how and the red point as well, because and it's going to go right back to the Wii U, which is going to sound crazy, but. One of the things that always kind of kept me off of the Switch until finally I saw Jonah, you know, loving his so much that I had to get one, right, was the fact that every major game I heard being announced 
every single time, I genuinely felt like every game was was truly a Wii U port. Mm-hmm. I felt like all of the first games were Wii U ports, and that that was all I ever saw and all I ever heard over and over again was that oh, they're bringing this game from the Wii U over to the Switch, and they're still doing it three years into the console's life cycle, right? By this point, they're usually getting ready to announce the next version of the console, and instead, they're still mastering Wii U games on over. And it sounds like a stretch, but that actually kind of does make me think about the way that the Union was intended for Empire and got pushed back into King and Black. Sword was intended for, like, after Empire and got rolled past Ten of Swords. There's something really significant about that sort of placement, and I want to talk for just one moment about how amazing this cast is, right? This cast is worth that red bar alone because this cast represents something that I don't think we're seeing a lot of places. True diversity being handled with effortless intensity. Now, in a first issue, you really can't get everything you're looking for in terms of character development. Not to say that this was shallow, but you know the, the character development was maybe a little understated because you can only go so far. Now, I don't know about you guys, but since my first ever X-Factor experience, right? I'm talking like X-Factor 5 or 6 whenever they're introduced, I fell in love with Joanna Cargill. Like, as a little kid, when you know when you're like a little kid and you're like, my X-Men team would be this, right? Like, my X-Men team was always centered around Joanna Cargill being redeemed and becoming an X-Man. And then as I grew up, everybody wanted the same thing for Frenzy. So many of the best runs of all time, including Mike Carey's legacy, showcase Frenzy, especially in that brilliant, brilliant Age of X, that seven-issue miniseries. That is just so fucking perfect where Frenzy's in love with Cyclops and they're happy together. I have always thought she represented like the high point. You know, we're talking about redeeming Juggernaut. Why, why, why? Frenzy. Fuck yeah. Right? Frenzy should get the miniseries. And the fact that we get to see a character with a disability not just be in the book, but be a vital member of an organization that cannot possibly function without them. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm physically in love with Manifold. Like, if you are not attracted to Manifold, there's something wrong. And I do love that we also get the other green lady, right? Like, you know, everybody loves Poe. And, you know, hey, Robbie, we all love Poe. Please don't be mad. But it is nice to see Abigail Brand and not see her exclusively attached to Beast. Oh, yeah. So before we talk a little bit more about the bigger picture that this book represents in terms of the Marvel Universe, did anybody else have any favorite characters where you were just like, yes, this is the thing? Okay, so yeah, obviously, like I've been talking about on Twitter like all week, Frenzy, oh my god, yes, I share that same love with you. I think I fell in love with her during the King of Pains uh, storyline. The the annual crossover. Yeah, the annual crossover, like because she was in the last New Mutants issue, which was really an X-Force issue, but they just haven't changed the name over. Like, yes, that's where I fell in love with her oh my god but that uh age of x line was where like i really like oh my god he's like the best but my girl lila cheney's in it oh my god and amelia vote like, you mean backup dazzler backup dazzler and uh backup jean gray i guess amelia vote i don't know yeah she's like she's she's like <laughs> xavier's actual i banged her 
<laughs> it's it's also real quick if anybody here is a fan of art especially cutie chibi style art right like it can't all be valerio sheedy drawing the sistine chapel of mutants which he did here but if you're a fan of adorable cutie chibi art uh friend of the pod who designed our new logo jeremy his frenzy chibi is like the ex baby cutie you didn't know you needed oh my god it's so adorable and perfect oh love it so yeah i'm i'm completely with you now jonah who stood out for you uh, the two characters I think stood out the most for me were Wizkid, who is a character that I didn't know. Uh, the moniker is a little... Yeah. Uh, but I do like his character. I think he really kind of set himself apart from the other characters here. And the other character that I really did enjoy was Abigail Brand. Oh, she's who, so amazing. Uh, I was like, oh, this this is a cool... I like her. Yeah, more of her, please. Do that challenge. <laughs> So, she was also the star of the original volume of Sword that spun out of the pages of Astonishing X-Men a number of years ago with writing by Kieran Gillen and Steve Sanders. So I would definitely check that out. Will do. We all named the characters that we love, right? Now, here's my thing. We're in an age of X-Men where there are so many fucking X-Men. And I wonder a little bit how necessary it is to have some of this duplication. This new role for Magneto, I genuinely don't ever want to see him go back to a villain again. I don't even know that it would make sense. I don't know how you could make me believe it. He and Charles would need to have some sort of ethical divide along the Krakoa and Arako border or something for me to accept that Wolverine, well, for me to accept that Magneto could ever be evil ever again. It's sort of in that vein that I wonder... I wonder if we need Cable the book and Cable and Sword. I wonder if Magneto needs to appear in every book and Sword. Wolverine has two titles right now between his ongoing and his miniseries, while he's also regularly appearing in the pages of X-Force. We were kind of promised a bold new era of X-Men where the oversaturation of the market would be replaced by a clever and concise thought process into creating each one of these titles. I'm personally blown away that Deadpool, who we will start covering in the very near future as he is a favorite of Evelyn and Ravens, and I cannot wait to hear the two of them go crazy on Deadpool, I find myself wondering, is there an oversaturation point on these characters? For my personal stake, I would probably cancel Cable. I would probably make Cable a backup story in Sword, like eight pages, and I would pay $4.99 a Sword issue to get a Sword story with a Cable backup. But I don't know that there is functionally room in the Marvel oeuvre for two cable titles right now for Wolverine to be in five books on the regular because he does also appear in other titles pretty regularly. I just don't know that it's there. How do you guys feel about the way that S.W.O.R.D. does come due on the promise of Hoxpox, yet in some ways kind of regressed us back into an oversaturation point? Okay, if we have to get Cable in two books to, like, get the draw factor to get this other amazing team, which is, like, just, like, so diverse and so, such underutilized characters, I mean, like, we have Risk back. Oh, my God. If, if we have to get Cable in two books for that, I, I'll, I'll take it. In the, cable, in the Cable solo, the art's beautiful, so I, I can't really complain about that. It's beautiful to look at. Yeah, Phil Noto draws everyone like a breathtaking underwear model, yeah. and that is one of his unreasonable talents how deftly 
He makes everyone look a unique kind of beautiful, and yet sort of non-sexualized, but very sexual. It's it's definitely a balancing point. And, you know, Jonah, again, I promised you a lack of overwrought, overdone, kind of headachey books. And for your sake and your interpretation, how do you feel about some of this character doubling that we're seeing going on right now? I, my, my qualm with character doubling is that I never know how exactly they got to the other book. Like when they're in a title that they're supposed to be appearing in, I'm told, okay, Wolverine is meant to be on X-Force. I'm like, cool, I get that. And then Wolverine is in 20 different locations. He's running from Europe to America. I don't quite understand how exactly characters get to where they are in the crossover books. Or not the crossover, into the other books. So I don't fully understand. It just confuses me. Because it's like in one moment they're here, but in another moment they're, you know, elsewhere. So my other my other qualm with character doubling is that it's a spot that could have been used for a character who doesn't get to be seen. I understand that you often have to use a monochrome amount of popular characters to be able to sell something. Uh, you have to have a borderline, you have to have something that's a borderline interest that most and the general, most slash the general will buy. But I often feel like uh, writing and art teams will utilize character doubling as opposed to use, utilizing a character that hasn't been seen yet because they'll either market or sell better or whatever reason. If it makes sense for a story, that's one thing, but I think oftentimes character doubling can be removed and you can have someone with either a similar power set or just someone completely different. And like, so I'm maybe a little bit famous among my friends for creating complete read-throughs of universes. I just finished a several-month-long complete Daredevil Electra sort of read where you kind of have to balance how necessary the Kingpin's appearances in Spider-Man are to the Daredevil narrative. And you have to balance this. And I, I've done X-Men before. For those of you who don't know, when I worked at a comic shop, and I, of course, was lucky enough to inherit my father's like 10,000 comic book collection, he just one day was like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. You have to handle it now. Sure. And so I've been lucky enough to read like actually pretty nearly every word of X-Men ever, right? I'm, I'm very lucky. I have my omnibus editions. And the hardest point of organization is Wolverine because he just appears in 17,000 titles every single fucking month. And there were points in which in the, especially in like the aughts, like 2008, 2009, there would be five and six titles with Wolverine a week. And he had two ongoings and a mini series and a digital first. And he was an Avenger and he was in whatever big crossover was going on. And he was in two different X books and he was appearing as a guest spot in this or that. You really reached a point where it became difficult to see outside of the scope of how these characters could possibly interact. You just hit a point where you're like, I'm just going to pretend these five didn't happen because it's just too much, right? And I do have some reserves and concerns about the character doubling in Sword. If I have any nervousness about the book, it is that I've enjoyed that Hoxpox has made tracking these characters very easy. And that sword having Magneto in space and Cable in space, and I'm pretty sure Magneto's going to keep appearing in X-Men, and I'm pretty sure Cable's going to keep appearing in, well, Cable. So I think this represents a growing point for the X-Men 
where they're about to step outside of themselves. We know that sword number two ties into King in Black, and I know a lot of people were like, boo, why is that book randomly tying into King in Black? Well, if you picked up King in Black number one, the X-Men are there, right? Yeah. And they're going to appear on the cover of King in Black number four. So sword really is a turning point for the X-Men. Now, I think the book itself is spectacular, and my projection is the turning point will remain a dynamic, important step in mutant development. I have no concerns that this book is the right step for mutant kind into the future. I just hope that with the rumors that Scott and Jean are getting a team of X-Men in their own title, and that we know that Children of the Atom is finally coming, right? I'm just really hoping that we don't reach that point of market oversaturation where everyone has a solo that only runs seven issues and everybody gets a team spinoff with a second team and then a line of miniseries. I think we kind of saw the dangers of that with Giant Size, the line that they recently did where they released five unique original stories in the form of Emma Frost and Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Magneto, Phantom X, and Storm, plus the tribute to Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, giant size number one, I think we're facing an interesting point. But, you know, as the state of X goes, I think this really could be the X-Men's re-entry into the Marvel Universe after the unfortunate Fox Studios ban that dragged them down. The fact that they delivered on the promise that they hinted at with the five. So, like, the mutant technology data page, like, just speaks so much to the future of, of everything promised in Hawkbox. Like, I'm just, like, so in love with that. And Stan Lightly Chain Makes Forever. Uh, Stan Frenzy Forever. <laughs> and Stan Frenzy Forever. Oh, my God. Give Blink dialogue. Yeah, yeah. My, my beautiful Blink. She is one of my all-time favorite characters. And I... You know, like we said earlier, it's a first issue with 85 characters. You got to pick and choose who gets to talk. And I'm really hoping that this cast isn't too large to see that sort of character development as we go. Ooh, one more thing. I really, 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 like, that's on the Lila-like note, but I really, really, really want to see the Dyson Sphere. Like, if they use it, you know, like, remember, she's got the Dyson Sphere that she lives on. Oh, yeah. I really want to see if they're going to use that somehow. 